Hello, it's Jack Tutor here from Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guests, too, this time, are Julian Sartorius and Feldemelder, who released a collaborative record on the label On Us called Bon Root, originally based on a commission from the venue in Switzerland called Bad Bon. And the basis of this album were a set of recordings made at 11 different locations around the village of Dudingen by Julian Sartorius, drumming on things, field recordings. All this material was sent over to Feldemelder to then be processed into the compositions you find on this album. And what's great is that on one side, you've got these acts of wizardry by Feldemelder using resonators and various other techniques to really haul up the harmonics of the various materials captured. And they get turned into like arpeggiating melodies, chords, all these things that seem so far removed from the original material. And then you get the raw essence intact of these various spaces, the clangs of metal, the real resonance of material being hit, that kind of earthly grounding that runs throughout this record. is so nicely done. There's a lovely balance between those two forces. So please do check out the record and also be sure to check out the solo music by both of these musicians. So Feldemelder just recently released Euphoric Attempts, again via On Us, and Julian Sartorius released Mux earlier this year on Marionette. Both excellent. So yeah, I'll put links in the show notes to those. And if you want to support Crucial Listening, you can do over at coffee ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening, where you can make a one-off donation or a monthly one of any amount of your choosing. And that helps to support the podcast, uh, the hosting fees, but also the energy exerted in making it each fortnight. Thank you for listening as always. Really hope you enjoy this episode. Four lovely records here, so because there were two guests, I do two apiece instead of three. But yeah, lovely selection. So this is Julian Sartorius and Feldemelder on Crucial Listening. Julian, hello, Feldemelder. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to talk to you about your important records. You've both picked two records apiece. But before we get stuck into those, I want to ask you about your new collaborative record, Bon Root, um, which was released on Feldemelder's label, the one you're a co-founder of, AUS, uh, over the summer. So I understand, uh, Julian, this sounds like it started with you in terms of the process you recorded sounds at 11 different locations um presuming around uh is it dudingen am i pronouncing that correctly it's another one i should have checked yeah it's um, the the, um, the the city or the village it's called dudingen and yeah. the project was um initiated by uh, dux he's the promoter of a venue called uh, bad bonn in dudingen and he commissioned a sound walk from uh, Feldermelder and myself and then we walked with him through Dudingen and we've chosen the places together uh, with him and also yeah Feldermelder and me discussed with which places would be best and as soon as we um, uh, fixed the places I went there on my own and recorded sounds I think I sp yeah, spent a few days in Dudingen and just recording sounds at the different places and then I've sent, uh, yeah, quite a big sound library to Feldermelder. 
And with this library, he had, he had a carte blanche. He could do whatever he wants with it. So uh, he, it was Feldmelder that actually created then the, the tracks out of my sounds and finished the record. Nice. So I know that you have been out and about with your drumsticks before interacting with places. I'm so interested to know uh, what is it that uh, defines what you deemed to make places like best for putting these pieces down. And what did that look like when you went out solo? Um, how did you interact with these spaces? Yeah, what is um, most important to me when I go out with the drumsticks and look for sounds or what is the most fascinating is that I like every object that exists is, is giving a sound when you hit it. Like there is no object that doesn't react <laughs> on hitting mm. it. And it's I, I do it since many years and still I have so many surprises. And that's really um, fascinating. And also when you have, for example, when you have a wall at a building and it all looks the same, like every centimeter or every meter uh, looks the same. When you hit it, it sounds different <laughs> most of the time. So it's like looking inside the object or, or inside the material. And I get, yeah, I get to know a place really uh, profoundly when I, when I hit the objects and when I know the sounds that it's doing. And that's really fascinating for me. And so, as you say, you gave Feldermatter carte blanche to do as he pleased with these recordings. Um, that's a quite a uh, hefty undertaking, right? You get this big bulk of recordings from all these different places. Feldermatter, how did you go about starting to work on these pieces and putting them together from the recordings you'd received from Julia? Well, I had a bit. <laughs> it's hard to um, to say because for every spot, sometimes I had a, a little, slightly different approach. But f the the first thing was really to listen through what he recorded, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what and um, there were some um, little patterns sometimes like from a single sound, little patterns. And then I was really clicking through this sound bank and um, checked what what is the catchy thing that I could then build around it. From then on, it was really like trying to use the minimal amount of other sound sources. I was really focused on the sounds around the sounds he recorded if this makes sense it's yeah. the, the atmosphere around it and then let me guide from the atmosphere what kind of track it should become and then i used some of his patterns transform yeah then but then yeah i did a lot of cutting and <laughs> i mean it's um but it, I mean, it was a super inspirational uh, material to start with. And um, I mean, already when we walked around there and I, I'm from not far away, so I know this village inside out. So um, I had the idea what sound, uh, how the places should sound. One of the most astonishing things about this record is, this is part of the text, so correct me if it's wrong, but there's only one recording on this or, or one sound on the whole record which isn't derived from Julian's recordings which when you know that and initially I, I didn't I just listened to the record and kind of relished it for what it was but in that knowledge listening back and then hearing something like I'm back with those like arpeggiating loops it's absolute magic to me to think that that was derived somehow from just these on the spot you know on-site recordings you received from from Julian yeah yeah this was really a quest <laughs> I have to say <laughs> to uh, I don't even know why on one track I have had this space really because maybe I was just <laughs> too tired but uh, of inventing but it was really as soon as you go really small in the sounds like milliseconds you can form what uh, crazy stuff around with it and mm. I used a lot of uh, resonators, but that were also like in Max, that were also built with his sounds, uh, always from the piece 
I was working on. I made like a new kind of resonator that then I could manipulate with his sounds again into making melodies or things. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's such a joy to listen to. I mean, I understand as well there's a... You kind of invite people to listen to this on site as well. I'm curious as to how... Is that kind of like a structured offering? Are you... Uh, is there a way in which people can take these pieces out into the world and... Or out into this village, rather, and enjoy them optimally? Or is it kind of just like an open invite to say, look, go visit these spaces and listen to these pieces while you're there? Um, in the beginning, we had like a... It was like an app... Uh, where the people could walk there and as soon they entered a zone, the music started. So this was uh, like during the sound walk in the in the beginning. But um, at the moment, it's not online, but I'm thinking uh, with uh, Daniel from uh, Dukes from the Bad Bon with the village together, how to make it permanent. That's great. In the meantime, people should definitely check out the album. It's really cool. There's so much to draw on. I think my favourite thing about it is you get the various place names referenced in the titles. You can hear the sort of material essence of these places still retained within these otherwise very musical and beat-driven compositions. It's lovely. So, like I say, I'll include links in the show notes. People should check them out. And we should talk about your important records that you both picked so i'm intrigued to begin with to understand how you thought about the word important when picking your two records a piece so julian was there a way that you understood the word important in order to pluck these two records out yes um for me um i i was looking for records that uh really um, had a big influence or impact on me and that uh, yeah influenced my work or inspired it. Um, like the J. Dilla record was really important to me in that uh, sense, also of the format, not, not only the music in itself, but only the format that it's a beat record with many different tracks. I really love, I was so much into that, that format <laughs> of that record. And um, the other one that I picked was the birds from the from the rainforest in Venezuela is just also really inspiring to me because it leads me to the question what is music and where where yeah it's not human made but it's really musical this recording uh, yeah like the sounds of the birds and that's also yeah it's a question that I always have like where what is music and what, what uh, yeah so and this record is really important to me in that sense still awesome and Feldermatter as well, same question to you. How did you consider the word important when picking your two records? For me, I have maybe to say like one I chose is more the record and the other is like also a show I saw them uh, and that influenced me somehow or made, maybe influence is the wrong word, but, but left a really strong impression on me on just to think about what is music in general and 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 i wanted to take records that are with me since a long long time and because there is always new things that um, are inspiring but both these records i listened to since i'm a kid (laughs) so (laughs) so i wanted to choose something that is really part of my life so Julian, let's go with one of your records first. Which one do you want to tuck into? We can't speak about donuts first. Yeah, sure. <laughs> nice. So give me a little introduction as to why Jay Diller's Donuts is an important record to you. Yeah, there, it's an important record to me in two sense. Like one is the music, of course, like the some beats uh, I really love on that record. Uh, two of my favorite beats is uh, the track Lightworks and the other one is uh, The Factory, but also the other ones, but these two tracks really had a huge impact on me regarding the beats. And what I like about that record is it's like a record only with beats. And it was the first record I heard in that, that's made in that sense. And 
Then I listened to other ones like from Madlib and John Wayne, which I really like as well. Um, there is a record of John Wayne that also has, I think, more than 30 or 40 short tracks. And I just really like that format a lot. And mm -hmm. the donuts is for me, it's like still it's like a collage and how the how the tracks stop and and uh, and just are connected to each other without being connected. It's really like I still um, discover so much new stuff on that record every time I listen to it. And it's every track is feels too short to me. That's also <laughs> what I like, <laughs> because I just when the record is over, I just want to listen to it again. And also how it's built around these short loops. Yeah, it had just a huge um, inspiration for me. And I, I yeah, it's, I, I really loved that record a lot. And it affected a lot my other works, like the Beat Diary and just, uh, yeah, the, the, the format was also important. I mean, I'm intrigued to dig down into why that idea of it being composed of lots of just beats lots of small tracks and the parallel you draw between that and something like your own beat diary like why yeah, is that structure of record with loads of short tracks i i should say as well it's something that really excites me as well a lot of the compilations i've been involved in have have centered on a similar kind of structure but what is it for you that is the appeal to records that are structured like that i think it's the it's the surprise that i that i get from it when i listen to it I, you don't know when the track where it's going <laughs> when it's stopping and it's so colorful it feels really playful uh i think for me it's like uh being in a room with plenty of different objects that you never <laughs> can see yeah like yeah. that you always can discover new i don't know it's just really i think it's the playfulness and uh, yeah it's so colorful that really um uh yeah i just want to listen to it again and again and again yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you remember how you first discovered it i actually don't know i i think somebody told me about it and then i found that i don't know then i li started listening to it and then yeah to some other records of his and madlib and but i i i i don't remember how i found that record really <laughs> yeah fair um and you mentioned that it's always there's always new stuff to discover on this record, which I totally hear. What's interesting is this is the second time this has come up on the podcast. So wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah. Corey Corey <laughs> Allen picked it as well and ah. <laughs> mentioned that he listened to it hundreds of times and was still extracting new stuff from yeah. it. So it's I, the same I'm intrigued. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm intrigued as to how your relationship with this record is has changed since it's been in your life like do you think about it differently now to when you first discovered it i think first it was really new to me that format uh, of the record so this was a big surprise and now as i heard other records in a similar format um i think i just know i know it i, I know that better that way of maybe uh, uh, creating a, an album but still it's full of surprises and um, maybe my ear also got more detailed during the years and I can hear maybe more about the different loops or the, I don't know, it's really hard to say. Yeah. 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 Sure. But it just feels uh, I have a deeper knowledge now about the record, but still it's surprising. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I was surprised at the things that I kind of like forgotten about this record, which are kind of alarming and feel very spontaneous. So I can't remember if it's on Lightworks or Airworks, but there's one where it just kind of like stops uh, within two seconds of starting and then yeah. kicks off again. Yeah, is, I know oh. which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also there's another track that's really very, very too short. Like it's just maybe 15 seconds, an amazing beat. But then it comes later again. And, and that's <laughs> this small, um, like how you say, uh, my English is... Um, I'm missing a word, like this, like a tricks or or a, or um, dramaturgical yeah. tool. <laughs> I don't know. It's really <laughs> nice how with these details are uh, really really nice. And you mentioned you picked up two beats in particular. Was it Lightworks and Factory? And the Factory, yes. 
what is it about those that makes them jut out for you do you think not always easy to define in words i appreciate so i think in factory it's the phrasing like how it it bounces and how it's it's not yeah like it's it's not quanti quantized at all <laughs> i really yeah, like the yeah. phrasing of that and how it's yeah just bouncing it's yeah and the light works it's also it's rolling so nice it's with this voice um the phrase that always come yeah it's and i think it's sample from raymond scott mm. on that track and also i started to listen to his stuff then also so the some dilla samples they led me to other stuff i think on th that track it's a raymond scott i have to double check that to not say something wrong but i think so <laughs> nice nice um <laughs> Feldamello, you said also you had some uh, acquaintance with Jay Diller as well, but not this record, right? What's your experience with Jay Diller? Mm, yeah, generally, uh, like uh, a musician I grew up around with, and like there were not that many <laughs> around where I grew up that were into electronic music. So this uh, Dim Light, maybe you know him. Mm. So he made a lot of music that was similar and I I actually Madlib and Jay Dilla I know exactly <laughs> how they sound like <laughs> right, right in a way like musically speaking but I think at this time I was moving too fast and there was too much involved in this kind of music to be hung up too long on one <laughs> record <laughs> somehow but I, I really think uh, Jay Dilla especially, I mean, he changed uh, music producing in general. I mean, mm. a lot of things, Flying Lotus, all these kind of things wouldn't exist without this um, uh, mental liberty that he put in the into the world. Feldamada, let's go to your first important record. Which one would you want to talk about first? Uh, you can choose. <laughs> <laughs> let you choose. Cool, okay. Should we go for Orteca? Okay. Nice. So you've gone for LP5. Uh, why is this one important to you? Give me a little introduction to it. Yeah, so I think when I was 15, <laughs> in 94 or something like this, I think it was 94. I went to a show. It was um, promoted as an um, experimental hip-hop show. And like when I was younger, even younger, I was really into the these beginnings of hip-hop and in the around the 90s, beginning of the 90s. So I was super excited, like, wow, it's going to be hip-hop. Then I went <laughs> and it was Autecker. <laughs> <laughs> and like the first five minutes when they started to play, my brain was, ex you know, was like expecting to hear like hip-hop. <laughs> but it was... Like for me, in, uh, at the end of the show, I saw, I thought it it's the greatest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in oh, my life. Wow! So it was uh, like I was really young. I was in secondary, the end of secondary school. I don't remember exactly, but uh, I, I was I was so blown away from the pressure and the sound design that then I became for a while obsessed like in hunting this kind of uh, records and where I grew up it, it wasn't so easy to get <laughs> so and then when LP5 came out a bit later uh, it was like uh, it was like a holy grail to me and I was <laughs> listening terrorizing everybody with it for years so <laughs> <laughs> but I it's fascinating that sometimes I forget 
the record, but then a couple, I don't know, one, two years later, I, I stumble upon it and then I listen to it and then I still think it's so good. Mm. <laughs> so it's still fresh and it's still it's so unique. I mean, they never, it's uh, generally it's uh, a duo that uh, even sometimes I forget how great they are. <laughs> and it's uh, <laughs> for a while and then I see them again play or I hear something new and then I think to myself it's the only electronic music duo that I sometimes don't really know how they do the sounds right right and wow and it's this that kept me it's not like I'm um, I, it's not like I wait for the next attacker or so but it's really Sometimes I remember uh, some something remembers me that they are actually still <laughs> ten years in the future, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. There is something about this band that, and also their attitude to not giving a shit about really about fame. I mean, they they don't want to be in the spotlight really, so. There's a lot of around the artists and the the way they see the sound that I was that keeps me close to them somehow over the years. You could have, I'm sure, picked any number of of records here, right? LP five is a really interesting choice because I have to say it's one that I hadn't heard before. I think I cut in around Confield, and then I went back to a couple of their earlier earlier records oh, okay and forward but never lp5 so i had a really nice time getting acquainted with this and hearing it as something that maybe straddles both of those zones you know something more melodic in the early years but then also very much very prescient in terms of where they were headed as a lot of that kind of mid-era stuff is what is it about lp5 which you think makes it jut out as the one that you pick as the important one yeah it, it's maybe it's more um it was it was really the brink um of the band of the band like you said uh, of i mean things they do now are maybe un um less obvious somehow mm. yeah <laughs> and it was like uh, i i liked in this record that, that there are many many super minimal but extremely melodic uh, pieces that are and I yeah it was I don't know I, I like structure I, I think something maybe it's this really that I, I like well composed pieces hmm. and that I find in the especially in this one it's like it has still something of uh, <laughs> of uh, you, readable it's still a bit readable yes, totally but it's it's like the brink of that the sound design goes bonkers you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> afterwards <laughs> i mean still i also in the newest uh, works i find the, uh, this attitude in with them but uh, i th i think there is something about it. but then it's also memories like from my when i was young with my friends and we were listening this lp5 up and down and th that all my good friends the first time i played it to them they were like after like 10 minutes stop this nervous crazy <laughs> stuff <laughs> and later on and also my mother like she w went completely crazy uh, uh, hearing it <laughs> and then but later like after two months of abusing everybody, like they were whistling some Ortecker melodies, imagine that, <laughs> while cleaning the house. So it was, um, <laughs> I don't know, it has a lot of, lots of memories, maybe more than the other records they did. So that's why I chose it. Lovely. And is there a track on this one that sticks out for you as a favorite? Yeah, for me, it's really this. I think it's the first one, Acro, Acro Year. That is uh -huh. like a super slow motion moving. It's like a symphony for me, really, but it's so minimal. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. The, and you have this rhythm that, I mean, the main structure practically changes never. <laughs> but in the background, you have super intricate symphonic elements. 
and I love it. I love this uh, still. Hmm. I love the amount of kind of deceleration and acceleration on this record. Like there's several points where they just slow the tempo or speed up the tempo. There's that one track. You may know the name of it. I don't know if it's a pronounceable name. I, I don't know a lot of them aren't, but they got one where it's just speeding up and slowing down the entire track. Yeah, the yeah beat. I know. Yeah. yeah, I find this. I found this also when uh, th this record came out. This was really something they had like these dying tracks, <laughs> you know, that were dying melodies. Uh, also on another EP they did, but at at some point I I was really obsessed with this, like strong and then die off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know movement that they did, and it was so unusual for electronic music at the time to have this. Um, that the structure itself is used as a tool. Mm. Uh, I mean, to really, uh, that's why I say it has these symphonic elements because it's, they used also the structure of the piece more like a, like an instrument, like a symphony orchestra that can do that because everybody is uh, like, there is no quantization and everything, but in electronic music, there were not much of these things that so that stretched the yeah the sequence so or the pattern or however you want to call it yeah for sure and sounds like you've seen them live since that initial time in 1994 i guess also as well you were more ready for it not to be experimental hip-hop which is good but um <laughs> when's the last time you saw them uh it was uh maybe it was two three years before covid i right. think it was the last tour nice uh, it was awesome really and it was one of these moments that uh, i thought to myself i forgot how good they are <laughs> <laughs> awesome. yeah. um julian what's your uh, connection with orteca like do you listen to them much uh, are you a fan yes it was also really important to me when i was 17 i think i discovered it but I think it was with the record Untitled. Hmm. You, yeah, you know which one it is? It's Isn't like, that this one? Or is, is that a different one? It's a different one. Oh, uh, okay. I th yeah, I, I think it's this one. There's an EP as well, which is like an hour-long EP, which um, um, the, I think is also Untitled. Is it that one? I don't know. Oh, but I really loved that stuff. record and it was also really, really inspiring and really important to me for, for the drums because the mm. rhythms they built, it was so, yeah, I, I, I just feel like listening to it again <laughs> now, maybe after the interview, I will listen straight <laughs> back to it. <laughs> awesome. Yes, no, it was really, really also had a huge impact on me, really. Uh, I just was I played a concert in Poland and there was a guy having the band name Otek uh, had a tattoo on his neck of the band <laughs> and then I said oh yeah that band I want to listen to it again <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. The, he also seems to be a huge fan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having it tattooed visible for everyone wow. all the time in front yeah wow. on the neck <laughs> that is amazing um, <laughs> that's the funny thing I think because I agree with you Feldemelder in the sense that they they're not going out their way for popularity but I went to see them on Friday, actually. Oh. And, uh, they they played two nights. Um, no, sorry. They played one night, but twice at the Barbican, where they did an early show and a late show in the same oh. evening. Um, and those seats sold out so quickly. So, you know, despite their best efforts, they are <laughs> yeah, so well adored. The music is too good. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, their problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not many... I don't know, there's not many electronic musicians that stayed so true to their initial things, but never do really the same thing. I don't know, it's... Mm. They also never did, like, horrible remixes or whatever just to stay yes. uh, the, the thing or whatever. They don't apparently don't care, so they just put out... I mean, I remember a couple of years back when they put out like this three or four hours of album <laughs> so I, I was at the time uh, a bit sick and i was listening to this like while being sick like four hours oh, my word. I, and i was just there like 
they're crazy. You know, they have a good <laughs> attitude towards it all. So. <laughs> Julian, let's go to your second uh, important record. Uh, if you could tell me the name of it and then give me an introduction as to why it's important to you. Yeah, the record is called uh, Birds of Venezuela and uh, it's recorded by, um, I don't know how, how to pronounce his name, actually. Hmm. Um, it's like Jean C. Roche? Yeah, maybe, maybe. like that. <laughs> and he just, he did field recordings. I don't know exactly when, but... Um, and then he he made a collage of these uh, recordings that he did in the rainforest in Venezuela, and th the sound of these birds is just unbelievable. To me, it sounds like electronic music, mm. but it's all acoustic. It's like they make these sounds, and I have no idea how they make these sounds, <laughs> these birds. <laughs> and yeah, for me, it's really it leads me to the question: what yeah, what is music, and what is musicality, and this is just so great to listen to it and it's but the birds that just do that sound with no they i don't think i don't know wha uh, what they are thinking of when they are doing that <laughs> <laughs> but it's just for me yeah I, I just can listen to it all the time all over yeah all the time again and it's uh, it's always yeah fascinating and also nowadays with the whole story with the rainforest i ask myself if this these sounds if they will disappear one day because when the yeah. when the forest go, goes away, the gets destroyed. Also, these birds will not survive, and maybe we lose these sounds. So, also this is really um, something that that moves me. That these sounds might disappear. These acoustic sounds. Mm. So it's also really um, uh, it fits to the to the time we are living in and the questions and how Brazil is behaving and yeah. So also regarding yes. that, it's for me an important record because it um, it keeps these sounds and it uh, yeah, it's it's a really important document. Maybe one day, already now, but maybe one day it will be the only possibility to listen to these birds. Maybe yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of a a, a sad undercurrent. Yeah, isn't it, this totally. Record. Yes. Do you remember how you came to discover this one? Yeah, I remember exactly <laughs> with that one because I was traveling to London and I think I was on tour and spent all the, the, the time I spent that in airports and airplanes and trains and train stations. And then I came to, um, he's a keyboarder from London and a pianist, he's called Dan Nichols. I, I came to his home and then I wanted to have a rest and he showed me that record and I was so touched by it coming straight from the airport <laughs> listening to these birds <laughs> and uh, yeah it felt so good and yeah then I bought the vinyl uh, and yeah I actually love to listen to it on vinyl <laughs> oh nice yeah and also uh, maybe one other connection is because I work mostly acoustically with sounds that also sounds like electronic sounds but it's made uh, with acoustic um, tools or instruments and also these birds they they they're acoustic, but it sounds like electronic sounds. Yes. <laughs> it's really, yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable for me. So maybe this is also something why I'm so fascinated by that. The other connection that I was thinking when I was listening is obviously this real connection between sound and place and geography yeah. and sounds that belong to or are emblematic of being in a certain locale. I mean, do you think that's maybe part of your affinity as well? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I, mm. I think so. Because, yeah, it's really part of that place and it only exists there. These sounds, they cannot mm. go elsewhere. You will not find these sounds in a city or in a desert or in the mountains. So, yeah, that's also really, um, yeah, important to me or fascinating. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing for me is like if I heard 
one of these birds out of my window now yeah. I think I'd be pretty freaked out it's, yes. it's really <laughs> it's so alarming this this record is truly amazing I mean I'm someone who just before the birth of my son I think this was my version of like a pre-natal fatherly crisis uh, I got really into birds and birdsong in a, oh, really? in a massive Whoa. way um and so hearing this record is so astonishing because you get so attuned again to the birds in your oh, immediate yeah. surroundings and then hear something like this you realize this is whole lexicon this whole other language which is yeah. being used by other birds i mean did you have a connection to like birds specifically at all before hearing this record i think so yeah i'm really uh, i love the voice of the birds also here in in switzerland and i i really love the animals <laughs> And also I was mm. feeding the birds in front of my studio all the time <laughs> until they, they were sitting on my hand to get the food because they <laughs> I could just go out the studio and they, they came because they realized that uh, when I, yeah, when I, always when I made a break, they came. <laughs> so, and yeah, and, and for me, it would be a really big dream to go once to, to a forest like that and really hear it with my own ears and walking through that. Uh, or walking it's not really walking it's maybe more fighting through the <laughs> leaves <and laughs> I, yeah i really really want to do that so yeah i think this one as well i had saw it written somewhere and i recognized the bird i think this is sampled on björk's really? utopia album ah, I yeah i didn't know ah. <laughs> yeah ah. Um, i didn't know about that yeah I'll pop your link to the track afterwards yes, because please yes it's very surreal to hear it in that context of something you know so worldwide oh, like Björk yeah. yeah now I'm intrigued <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it to you as well <laughs> We've got one more record and it's yours, Feldemelder. So yeah, give me a little introduction to it. Tell me the name and why it's important to you. So the record is called Krishnanda uh, from Pedro Sorongo Santos. <laughs> uh, he's like a Brazilian percussionist that played on many, many famous Brazilian recordings. Uh, but his own music is quite special and it's a record that my mother is uh, not really she's musically interested but it's not like she's deep researching right. <laughs> and but she had this record <laughs> somehow wow. and and so i know this record since i was born more or less so it is was made in the in 86 uh, no, in 68 and so since I was born I had this record and I don't know this for me this record is really it really with a lot of like old Italian film music because I'm half Italian so this and this record this Brazilian record really formed how I listened to music somehow I don't it's really, I would say, the most, um, the the biggest impression in music I got is from this and all this Ennio Morricone kind of film music. I could have also chosen something from him, but I chose this one because I had it really physically. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and I still have a, like a passion. It's kind, it's not a secret, but I mean, people who uh, don't know me that well would never think that I have a passion for Brazilian <laughs> music, but not really for Brazilian music because I have a passion for this obscure Brazilian music from the past. Right, uh, right. Because I really, I still think it's the un most unaffected music scene in the world like they take something uh, when i don't know electronic music came up they took it but 
they never copy. I don't know how to say they mm. they have such a strong own tradition of music that is already so broad because from all the influences and cultures they mix there that they never really copy something they are it's it's like below them somehow <laughs> and <laughs> you know they're like no I'm not doing that so uh, but they have a, I don't know I have a fascination for um, it's funny because most of the music I like has no vocals at all, uh, has no vocals. Uh, right. But I really like Brazilian vocals. Mm. I really like because they have these strange melodies, uh, they strange choirs. Uh, they always switch to a note that you don't expect. Mm. I, I don't know. There is a lot of fascination for me in this music in general and and this record Krishnanda I like specially because it's it's has like all the elements it's like orchestral music it's film music it's loop kind of music it's has sound design inside like for a record from the 60s out of <laughs> Brazil it's very uh, has a lot of pop elements but then it's still super experimental <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah. it's so at some point there is a there is an organ i mean it must be the highest note they could find <laughs> yeah. it, it kills your ears <laughs> and to put that in and from a musician that normally you know he plays the percussion on the famous recording of the girl from ipanema all the all these oh, wow. things so he was so uh, accustomed to play for the best musicians like the pop poppy stuff but his own music and there is also um, a small uh, seven inch he he put out with with kind of a chicken sounds <laughs> it's so weird <laughs> it's so weird but it's so beautiful <laughs> at the same yeah. time so i like this uh Generally, uh, all these Pedro Santos, his own recordings or his collaborations that he did under his own name, really, they're all super experimental in a way that is maybe not our tradition here, but that really captivates me since I'm a kid. That's beautiful. I mean, I had I'd never heard this one. Uh, I thought this was such a delight. I mean, the, it kind of unexpected experimental touches were really very striking i mean you've yes. got one point where you've got almost like blood curdling screams over this really sweet <laughs> <Yeah>. melody <laughs> which is you know an absolute loony decision but it fits perfectly another thing i think interesting that you mentioned is this not copying anything i mean it sounds like you know this is right on the edge the kind of tail end of like tropicalismo and things like that which were quite overtly anti-nationalistic right so i guess there was a real desire to not copy to not derive from any kind of tradition but to just to to disguise almost any regional origin which is really interesting um but yeah a lot of instruments invented as well i mean you mentioned as well you 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 are also into other brazilian records from around this era or older brazilian records were there any other that could have gone in the mix here too? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe this. Uh, there is a record from Edu Lobo that normally is really known, um, uh, like is a famous pop musician Brazilian. But he did some records that are really strange. Like uh, it's called Edu Canta Zumbi. <laughs> right, right. That that I think is. Uh, uh, like spiritually connected to this Krishnanda record, <laughs> right? So right. in uh, how it's made, and the, to use all the codes, but then do completely something else out of it. And I don't know; it has a lot of similarities. But in general, they had. I think there was a period where they were really mentally free. And mm. maybe it was also because they were not really attached to the worldwide music market. I, I, I thought many times about how, why their scene is so, 
has so developed how it did and all the rest of South America didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> Right, right. Uh, so it's uh, interesting. I'm then not uh, like... Uh, I'm just thinking about because maybe they were big enough or they were detached so long that something so strong grew inside. Uh, it's hard to... I don't know. I, I, I would have loved to be then around there and go out in Rio and Sao Paulo to see shows, it would have been amazing. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredible you've had this record since you're a kid as well. Is this an, uh, one where your relationship with it has changed over time at all? Does it, you know, do you feel a different kind of kinship with it now to when you were small? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like when I was a kid, it ha it was like uh, like something. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but it was like something kind of magic that I possessed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you know that nobody had it. It was like uh, a magic tool. I don't know. Every time I played it to somebody, <laughs> there is a, a track, Kemsoeo, uh, I think it's called, that is like uh, this psychedelic. I don't know, kind of guitar synth above and behind there is completely wrong rhythm that but it works perfectly <laughs> and it's like counter whatever. And for me this track was always like I have a magic piece that <laughs> weirds everybody out but it's beautiful. And uh and I don't know it has um, I, I I was really somehow really happy that maybe 10 years ago or so I think ten year, around ten years ago, uh, with the whole um, uh, the people who were reissuing re records and things like this, like uh, Mr. Bongo and Finders yeah. Keepers, that suddenly uh, the work of Pedro Santos got so much popularity. Yeah, yeah. it 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 got a bit famous again. Mm. Uh, probably maybe it was never before but so <laughs> but and uh, I was happy because uh, through this I could also I uh, before that there was a blog that was maybe done in the in 92 or like in the beginning of the dark ages of the internet <laughs> that was about this percussionist and I was always on this uh, w uh, this blog and looking for um, you know Ah, he did all these records and I was like collecting the records he did. Oh, that's so cool. And, and sad, but it was like impossible to find, you know, it is like, but then through this uh, whole movement of finders keepers and all these things, some of the records uh, I could find and not just like rip it from YouTube <laughs> or something, you know, <laughs> so... But I have a really deep passion for this percussionist because I don't know he um, uh, and I have to say that this is maybe the thing that connects him to Julian is that he uses percussions also like a melodic instrument like a really it's not beats yeah <laughs> it's, for sure. I do musical pieces. And I th I think that's why I also have a connection to Julian because I grew up really with this percussionist that has this vision. Mm. Oh, wow. nice! I don't know him actually. I I will listen to it. Uh, yeah, immediately. <laughs> One question actually I had for both of you before we finish, we'll start with you Julian is, what does buying music look like for you generally? What kind of formats do you like? Where do you buy your music? Yeah, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I have a problem with buying music uh, because I'm uh, I love to buy vinyl, but I'm never home, so it doesn't make <laughs> any sense of me buying vinyl because I I, I just uh, yeah I can store store I have a storage. <laughs> it's like more <laughs> having a storage for vinyl than because I I'm so I just came come home really late usually, 
um, in the evening after the shows and then the next day if I'm uh, in Bern I go to the studio immediately and but I'm really often traveling so I cannot listen to the vinyl <laughs> and <laughs> but actually it's my favorite format so then I sometimes I buy stuff uh, on Bandcamp like digitally but then it just um, fills my hard drive uh, and and so I stream a lot but then when I really like a record I just buy it on Bandcamp to support the artist uh, and not for having the file actually so mm. um, I was always it just felt more like um, you know when you go to the restaurant and you give a tip to the waiter I, I yes. would love to have a system where you can just transfer money to artists without um, yeah, buying anything just for showing you that you like his work or their work so mm. I, do a, I do that via Bandcamp um, and and um, yeah just uh, buy the record but maybe not even or just downloading it but then I keep on streaming it yes <laughs> <laughs> and also sometimes I used uh, I, I did um, I uh, via Spotify you can also now finally uh, give money to the artist that you like yes so I did that also from time to time just because I listened so often to the record and I felt like the income that they have is not enough from my listening when <laughs> I stream it. So I wanted to <laughs> give them money. <laughs> but yeah, nice. it's like really difficult. I would love to be home more and listen to vinyl, but it's not working with how I live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet, keep buying it. I get that. I do the exact same thing. I buy the CD and then because my small toddler son just rips up anything any cds you get i, I just throw them under the bed so yeah. you know got a bunch of shrink wrap cds just sat there <laughs> yeah yeah I hear you. um Felder, what about you yeah uh, i'm i was really into vinyls like back in the day like in the 90s beginning 2000s then with the with files coming around i'm 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 a computer kid i have to say i'm <laughs> i try to actually really download everything uh, and i really try to buy everything that i really like <laughs> nice, uh, nice like i buy them on band mostly i buy things on bandcamp if i'm really obsessed with the record i buy vinyl and really also i i don't have much time to listen to the vinyls but uh, it's more for support mm. and generally also the bandcamp i i think like um i was really a like a napster kid you know kind <laughs> of <laughs> uh, at some point when i was young i had no money and also there were no record shops i could buy potentially the things so it was uh, for me this was like a heaven sent to be able to listen to everything to even if you don't want then to own it you know but i don't know i say something randomly but to listen everything what the beatles did to be able to do that yeah as a as a musician to, to i don't know to go in deep into something without having to spend two thousand <laughs> to <Right>. own <laughs> every record is uh, is is a be is beautiful I, i'm i'm more concerned because i'm also running a label now and uh, that how the transfer of money to the artists happens so i'm really um a fan of Bandcamp, and if a uh, artist artist has even a own shop that is to him personal, then I even buy it there. Because nice. Just because I think, yeah, I think it's important that people have money and time to do great music that I want to listen to. And on that note, please go buy Bon Root because it's absolutely <laughs> fabulous, as I say, uh, and that's on. Your label, the label you co-founded, right, Feldemalda? Yes, it's on us records. Yes, awesome. And thank you, both of you. This has been great. I've really enjoyed talking about your collaborative record, but also you picked four absolute corkers. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And thanks to, to you. About <laughs> thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.